0: Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to another special joint episode of the AEC Leadership Today and the Civil Engineering Podcast, with my fellow co-author of the 2022 Present and Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture report, Anthony Fasano. First, I'd like to thank all of you and all those who participated in this year's survey. I and we are truly appreciative of both your contribution and support. This is the second year we've completed an AEC industry-specific survey and our second joint podcast, Breaking It Down. Last year, we received great feedback on the report, and this year to date has been no exception. So without any further delay, let's introduce you to and begin to break down the 2022 present and future of work in engineering and architecture report.
1: The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Welcome
2: aboard, everyone. We're excited for this episode today. We're simulcasting this episode across two podcasts the Civil Engineering Podcast, and the AEC Leadership Today Podcast. Anthony Pisano here from EMI. I'm here with Pete Atherton from Actions Prove. And we're excited to bring you information from the study that we did again this year together that's focusing this year on the present and future of work in the AE industry. Pete,
0: welcome aboard. Uh, It's great to see you, Anthony. It's great to be here, and it's great to do our second um, joint podcast.
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, we're excited because there's so many things going on in this industry. If you're a regular listener, you're aware of that. Obviously going through COVID, um, having people, everybody work at home. Now there's kind of hybrid for some companies, some companies there isn't. We've got infrastructure funding, um, all kinds of infrastructure projects. We've got supply uh, and supply chain issues. <laughs> so there's just lots of stuff going on. And this study that we did really served to kind of get a feel across the industry for AE professionals on what their thoughts are on employment, on the industry going forward, and really uncovered some, some very interesting things. So before we jump in, Pete, you want to talk a little bit about kind of the, uh, the process that we went through to accumulate this data?
0: Yes, um, so at the end, I mean, and we've been um, friends and sort of talking about the industry for a long time now. And at the end, of, we, we, as before COVID, but then certainly as COVID um, sort of started to take hold, we were having conversations and seeing a lot of trends in the industry throughout 2020. And at the end of 2020, we, we said, okay, there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of change. What's gonna be permanent? what's going to be temporary. And so we wanted to capture what was going on in the industry. Um, And so last year we initiated the, the, the future of work in AEC to really sort of capture the moment. We got a lot of great feedback on that report. And then certainly as last year started to unfold and we had the great resignation really taking hold, we had the, um, you know the return to the office. You know we're starting to kind of struggle with that a little bit. What does that mean? What is hybrid? Is hybrid going to be permanent now? We saw that there weren't only macro level changes, but there were micro level changes. And so this year, as you mentioned, we wanted to dive into both the present and the future of work. Um, and so that was it. We we really wanted to figure out um, what was happening and why. And further, we've both been having conversations with leaders and managers. Uh, and there was a lot of questions about what was the state of their, their firms, where the state of the industry. And in this, by design, we ask questions that we know that leaders and senior managers want to know the answers to, but maybe were hesitant in some cases and maybe afraid in other cases to ask. And so we wanted to dive right in. And, and again, the context for a lot of this is, is also you know, employee engagement, retention, And belonging because we know that those are drivers of value sustainers of value and really just show a commitment to the things that are mattering today which is people and culture so we're and one other point too is like we've um as we were finalizing the report we've shared some advanced copies of this report and similar last year we're getting some really good feedback and so i I, i'm excited for this and excited for um you know the basis of this report and, and what we're able to share with the industry
2: Yeah, for sure. And one last thing that I'll mention before we kind of dive into some of the content of the report is that we did go through a process with a a third party. Um, We worked with a company that specifically does uh, data collection, research, uh, report preparation, and they gathered the data for us. So this wasn't just, you know, EMI and actions proof going out, surveying people, getting information, putting something together. Um, We used a a very reputable firm that we've used them two years in a row now, and they've done really great work. And so that's an important part of this process. I think there are a lot of white papers and different things out there and you want to really understand the source of it. And we had really good data in terms of uh, different types of companies, different types of organizations. And if you download the report, which is available at futureofworkinaec.com, um, you'll be able to read all that and see all the data and see all the really awesome charts and graphs. And if you're watching this on the YouTube version, you'll also be able to see some of that that we're going to put up on the screen here as we go through it. So with that, let's jump in a little bit. And Pete, let's start off. I'm going to ask you a question to get things rolling here. You know, why would you say that the great resignation isn't over just yet? How did the report kind of, kind of tell us that?
0: Yeah, and, and for, for context, too, I mean, the, the great resignation, right? It's something we've been hearing about for a long time, or at least well over a year now. I remember last summer. Having to summer 2021, having conversations with regional leader groups, uh, and even into early last fall, and I'd mentioned great resignation, people say, what are you talking about? So it's been around for a while, but really probably catching hold within the last year of it being more sort of in the vernacular. But but that being said, uh, you know, I, I see it in my work with firms where people can't really get ahead. So multiple firms saying something along the lines of, well, I'm I'm able to hire three people, but then I lose two. And the three that I'm hiring are junior and the two that I'm losing are are mid-level. So uh, am I really gaining in that? So I I see it happening and we saw it in the data. And one interesting thing is if if you read some of the, the real great work that's been done across industries, really across the world on the great resignation, by the McKinsey's and the Bain's uh, uh, based on our research, we're really no different than a lot. I mean, what's fueling the great resignation across industries across the world is very, is much, very much the same things that are fueling it in our industry based on the data. And there, there are transactional components to that, um, you know, money being one, but there's also a lot of relational and relational really is, is, is cited as the top reasons for that. And so, I mean, I, you know, as it relates to talent, I mean, we've been dealing with sort of the war for talent since before the great re- uh, resignation happened. Certainly during COVID, there's a little bit of a pause for a bu- for a while, um, but then it started picking up and obviously um, t- picking up steam and, and maybe continuing. And and part of that is just strong public and private sector work. Um, there was a, a little bit of a delay, but then there was the snapback. And, and now we're looking at um, the infrastructure bill. And so and we're also looking at very strong housing demand. Now, maybe it's not priced affordably, but there'll be there'll be solutions to that through manufactured housing and fabrication through technology and that type of thing. But there's a lot of the, the fuel for our industry is still going to be there. Um, and so we, I mean, because that's one of the questions that we asked in the study. Do you think, you know, what are you thinking about further growth? And I think 80% of the respondents said, oh, our firms, we're expecting growth in 2022, um, despite the, you know, what you mentioned, the inflationary pressures and um, supply chain and all that. There has been a wrinkle in recent months with inflation really taking hold further you know, has the outlook changed? And, and I don't think so. If you're really, I mean, there might maybe for some firms, some sectors um, and who knows, but at this time, I think when you sort of have a conversation about it, um, it's, it's the, the thought is that we're still an industry that is probably gonna grow. Um, but to dive into the data. So we asked the question, and again, one of the questions that people wanna know the answers to, but might be hesitant to ask, um, would you consider leaving your current employer in the next 12 months for the right opportunity? and the data came back almost two in three so 61% specifically said that they would at, you know at least consider half of that group so about 30% or 20 you know 20 uh, 26 30% of that overall said they would strongly consider um, and, and that was skewed to to younger professionals and and I, I, you know i think that's pretty significant um, and, and we could talk more about that but one one other kind of fine point on that in as we designed the survey the 61% of the people said that they would consider leaving their current employer. We dug a little deeper into the 39% of uh, people who said no. And we asked them, okay, well, what, what might entice you um, to leave your current employer and asked them a number of questions. Only a quarter of that group said, well, none of the above. And we asked about, you know, substantially higher pay, better quality of life, more interesting work. Better training and development, greater job security, greater autonomy, more flexibility. We asked all those questions. So, with 25% of that group saying, "Well, nope, none of those," uh, and they had an opportunity for other. So, if you if you do the math, it, does that mean that really 10% of our industry couldn't be enticed? Um, and there's a lot of enticement going on. And is that 10% plus or minus our major owners? So that's, I mean, it, it's hap- it's it's still here. Um, and and I continue to see it happening. We certainly start the data.
2: Yeah, I mean those numbers are really kind of eye opening and fascinating to me. I mean, if you're a firm owner, you have 300 employees. To think that almost 200 of them would consider leaving for the right opportunity, and a quarter of them, or 75 of them, would strongly consider it, is definitely concerning. And. You know, it kind of. I mean, listen, Pete and I have done a lot of work with firms in this industry, so it wasn't necessarily alarming to us when we saw the data. I think, if anything, it confirmed what we've been hearing in the industry. But it's still when you just look at the data and you look at the numbers, I mean, it is concerning. Which is why, as we go through this report, we do, and we're going to get to this a little bit later on. There are some directives and things that we found that companies that have been able to have really good retention, that have been very people focused, what they've been able to do to kind of you know, weather the storm, if you will, through the this great resignation and some of the other challenges going on. So the report is not just meant to throw all this data at you, it is meant to be actionable and give you some things that you can do. And like I said, we're going to jump into a couple of them today as well. And you'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to see some of those for yourself and maybe try to implement them.
0: You yeah, make a good point. I, I wanna, we, asked, we, we didn't want to just ask the question, hey, are you considering leaving your car? We, we dove into you know, the reasons why. We want to know why. And I would ask you about that, Anthony, from your perspective as we dove into the data. But I mean, you made a great point with, we were not at all looking for um, just to provide information and data. We, we, this survey was designed like last year's survey uh, for relevant, actionable insight you know, not just the, there's a lot of information out there, but we really tried to dive into the insight. So that being said, what did the survey find as far as the the, the reasons um, professionals are are considering leaving their employers?
2: Yeah, this is a, a big one. In fact, this is, if you do end up downloading the report, and again, it's at futureofworkinaec.com, you'll see that there's a lot of colorful charts and graphs in there to try to bring the data to you in a way that you can digest it. But my favorite one, and both of our favorite is figure number three. And you'll be able to see that if you're watching the YouTube video now, it's up on the screen. If you're not, don't worry, you could see it in the report. But figure number three is titled Reasons for Job Turnover by Generation. And that's exactly what it is. And it goes through all of these top reasons people cited for leaving. And then it gives you the different categories by years of experience. So under 10 years, 10 to 19 years, and 20 or more years. So I'll tell you right off the bat, the top three reasons that were cited were, number one, they're looking for career advancement, which we've been kind of talking to companies about for years, and this is really putting an emphasis on it now. The second one was they're seeking a more flexible schedule. And the third one is my compensation is not competitive. And drilling down a little bit on some of those numbers, the the, the one that people are saying the most, which is looking for career advancement, 47% 47% of those were under 10 years of experience um or sorry 47 of those were under 10 years experience 50 10 to 19 and then 37 at 20 or more so it's a pretty it's pretty consistent actually across the board yeah there's a little bit more with people with less years of experience but even your 20 or more you have a significant number of people that are looking for more career advancement and that's why you know, obviously what Pete and I do a lot is focused on, you know, career advancement, leadership development. It's just a critical thing right now. I mean, that's what people are looking for. And then of course, seeking a more flexible schedule. Uh, This is something obviously right now people are looking for. I mean, we had COVID and it was, you know, we went from nobody can ever work from home in the engineering industry to overnight. Everyone's working from home hundred percent in the engineering industry. And now what's happening is there's many firms are faced with this challenge of what do we do now? Do we go, do we try to get people to all come back to the office? Do we keep people home? Do we do a hybrid? How much flexibility is involved in it? So that's a huge, huge kind of challenge right now. And it's real. And we've been working with firms to help them develop some hybrid work environment guidelines at EMI and really diving into this because what happens is like employees want clarity. Like if you're gonna go work somewhere, you wanna understand what your work life is going to look like. Am I going to the office? Am I driving an hour every day? Gas prices, et cetera. Do I have the flexibility? So that's obviously still top of people's mind. And that's a big one that people are going to continue to think about. And then of course that third one is my compensation is not competitive. And You know, I think when people are looking to make a move, of course, compensation is always going to be part of that, part of that discussion. You know, they always say you're not going to move unless you're getting, you know, a significant increase in salary. I don't think that that statement is as important as it used to be. I do think people are looking for some other things. And I think this report proves that. Um, But one other thing I'll say, Pete, that we may want to talk a little bit about here is the next couple, which are high level of stress- and too much work for one person, and then high level of stress is is actually mostly cited by people with 20 or more years of experience, which is which is important, an important point, um, and that's something that you've had a lot of experience with. You know, you write, you've written a book on burnout, burnout, experience it yourself. I mean, that's a big one.
0: It is, and one point too, I, you know, as I've spoken over the last six months specifically with, with different leaders in, in you know, national conferences or you know, through webinars or, or one-on-one, you know, when you say that you know, the, the, the number one factor for people leaving um, is is not compensation. Mm-hmm. There, there is a little skepticism. Well, yeah, you know they say these things, but at the end of the day, it's about the dollar. And and you know the, 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 the data shows and in our industry and across industries that money is absolutely important. That is a transactional component, um, <clears throat> but not the biggest factor. <clears throat> and we definitely found that. And and even just anecdotally, so talking to multiple firms. Um, leaders, C-suites, who people have, you know, they've been feeling the pressure of salaries. I I will say in practice, when there's a huge gap, um, people have come to leaders and said something to the extent of, I'm almost, I I love the culture here. I, I love our relationship. I can see some career development, but there's such a gap here that, I feel like I'm doing my family a disservice by not taking this opportunity, even though my career, it's going to be a little harder for me. We can now take this next step. And so if you just neutralize the money, it doesn't mean match it, it doesn't in in a lot of these cases, but if you can neutralize the money factor, I think if you do, for career advancement and not just training, but advancement. There's a nuance there uh, and the flexible work schedule and allow people to kind of win at work and win at life. I, I think you just get neutral on the money and and it happens. So anyway, I, 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 there's skepticism, but at the same time, I, I see and I hear really it's, it's the money plays a factor, but not the biggest piece. Um, to answer your question, you know, we were I mean, th- there's so much data that we went through, you know, w- with our with our third party, and, and there's only so much that makes it in the report, but we really wanted to look at these generational differences. Um, and the idea of this heat map, this figure three was, was really great, because it did, again, we're not just focused in on the, if we really want to understand what's going on in our organization and why and at different levels, because a nuanced approach is absolutely critical to our success moving forward. If we just took the top three, we, we would end at that. Well, as you mentioned, if you go to number four, five, six, and seven, um, <clears throat> you see that those are affecting people with more than 20 years experience. And so the high level of stress, too much work for one person, also not feeling valued at work. Uh, that people were much higher, the, the highest group that didn't feel valued at work with the 20 plus folks. Um, and also, you know, this for a reason I might leave my organization. Uh, two times, you know, people with 20 years experience were two times more likely to cite ineffective leadership team. So are we really addressing some of these, these issues um, as it relates to stress? So, you know, diving into that, we, we asked that question, uh, similar to last year, is, is work stress affecting your physical and or mental health? This year, 65% of the respondents said yes. That's up from 49% last year. Now, 49% was pretty significant, but 65%, and it's it's part of overall stress. Now, maybe some there's a lot going on in life. We we do we talked about some of the mental uh, health concerns overall. We talked about the shadow pandemic in the report, but when almost two-thirds of our people are saying it's causing um, physical and or mental health concerns, the stress. Uh, you know, the question is, uh, do we want to be part of the solution at work, or are we just are adding the stress? It's just a, a different discussion. Um, but, you know, ultimately, this gets to your point, and I see this in not just throughout firms, but particularly leadership teams. Um, the stress eventually can lead to burnout, and burnout is a big deal. And, and we ask that question, too. Um Thirty, you know, do do you feel um, burned out um, at work? Thirty-two percent said always or often. Forty-seven percent sometimes, and and only twenty-one percent said rarely or or never. So that's seventy-nine percent at least sometimes, and and it it is a big deal. There's there's a redefinition of burnout. It has a lot of different features, but it is it is a bigger deal. It's not overwhelmed. Um, overwhelm leads eventually to this. But if someone's burned out, if a team is burned out, I mean, it leads to a burnout disengagement cycle and, and really a lot of sort of uh, dysfunction or lack of function in an organization. And it is a big deal.
2: Yeah, no, undoubtedly. It's something that I've heard in talking with engineering professionals on the phone one-on-one. Hey, I want to find a new job. I just can't keep up here anymore just too much work. Or when I we asked, we surveyed professionals around some of our training programs, what could your company do to help you be more engaged, happier in the workplace? The answer, we've had the answer multiple times, hire more people. And so it's obvious that the stress and, and the burnout is definitely
0: there. And that, and that you know, hiring more people is part of the answer. But as we dove in a report, is it more full-time traditional employees? Can it be part-time? Can it be independent professional freelancers? You have to get you have to have some different skills from an organizational development front to get there um, but the one thing about you know <clears throat> if someone is burned out right I, I mean it is before covid the world health organization re de, reclassified and redefined burnout burnout at, it reclassified it as an occupational phenomenon so there's two components there's an individual component for sure but there's also an organizational component and the def by definition right there's There's three characteristics if somebody's feeling burned out. I mean, it is, you know, loss, you know, feelings of loss of energy, depletion and exhaustion. Right. But it's also increasing mental distance from our job, maybe some cynicism or some negativism. And reduced efficiency, reduced efficacy. So if you're seeing that, I mean, at some point the stress comes to a point where it's just, well, just hire more people, whatever. That's starting to creep into some cynicism and negativism. Where if you're sensing that, there's just a different approach. And sometimes just adding more people is part of the solution, but that will not be the full solution if sort of burnout has taken hold.
2: Yeah, agreed. It's not just you can't just pull more people onto the ship and all of a sudden everything is fine, has to be you know, it's like a lot of firms too, Pete, they'll do an acquisition and say, hey, we just made an acquisition, but that's just bringing more busy people on board. It's not necessarily going to make anyone, you know, less stressed. So, right.
0: Well, and one interesting phenomenon when we saw in the data, right. So there is this differentiation of, you know, the more than 20 um, plus year experience, you know, twice as likely to cite High level of stress than people with less than ten years experience, and one and a half times more likely to had well, had cited stress as a reason to leave. I mean, that really uncovered something that we've spoken about, and that I see in the industry, and that gets into the shape um, and the function of our industry. And because of the great recession ten to fifteen years ago, I mean, there was a whole group of people who didn't enter our industry, or maybe who were young and back in two thousand eight, nine, and ten that you know didn't stay with the industry they got laid off and didn't come in so that bubble 10 to 15 years later are our middle managers like there are project managers and that's why a lot of people say we have no we're little middle well it's because the shape of our industry is not a pyramid as it may have been 20 30 years ago our shape is is more of an hourglass so given the nature of our work the nature of our industry there's certainly a pressure point in the middle. Our, our managers are feeling a lot of pressure. And there's a lot that that's one of the more complicated jobs we have. And we'll get into training a little bit, but we don't often train for that. But because of the nature of our industry, we got to stamp things, client service. The pressure also flows up. It's not flowing down. And so because we have this hourglass, when it relates to getting stuff done, serving the client, um, the pressure does flow up to senior senior talent. And, and we're seeing that in the data, and I've seen that for a long time. And at the same time, I, there is frustration below the pinch point and I'm not getting career development opportunities. I'm not seeing advancement. I do some work, but maybe I don't get the feedback on whether I did it right or not. And so th- th- this sort of shape of our industry and if maybe the shape of most firms as a result um, th- that's causing, we have to think about work a little differently, n- not just add more people there's, there's some, there's some other factors. And we talked about some of those in the report too. For sure. And, and that's kind
2: of what we want to do here to kind of end off our episode today is we want to get into the actionable items. Um, we came up through this report with seven directives, um, that describe what people first AE companies kind of do differently in order to kind of minimize resignation and stay engaged with their workforce. And all seven of them are really outlined in detail in the report. Um, Again, you can get the report of of futureofworkinaec.com. That's futureofworkinaec.com. We're not going to go through all seven of them today, but we are going to touch on two of them. However, before we dive into those two, I'm just going to read through all seven of them. Uh, just so you can kind of get a feel for for what they are. And the first one is to understand that the great resignation is far from over. Pete talked about that earlier, and we're totally on board with that. Number two, commit to training and development as a strategic asset. And I'm gonna speak on that one just a minute here. Number three, use a people-centric, data-driven approach to surface hotspots. And Pete will dive into that one in just a few minutes. Number four, consider quality of life as a critical benefit And the employee relationship, Uh, that's a big one. And that's kind of what we talked about already a little bit with the burnout and the stress. Number five is to revisit the company's mission and vision, right? People want purpose. They want to be working towards something. Number six, strengthen hiring practices for more part-time and freelance professionals. So Pete also talked about that as being a potential part of the solution. And then number seven is to design a future of work that is above all flexible. I mean, flexible work is something not that people are hoping for today. It's something that people are expecting today. And so with that, first, I want to talk a little bit about number two, commit to training and development as a strategic asset. At the Engineering Management Institute, most of what we do is corporate learning and development and project management, people, leadership, seller-doer, BD training. And when we work with companies, one of the things that we tell them is the reason that training is such a good investment is because it gives you three different returns on your investment. One is obviously you're developing your people. And if it's project management or people leadership, usually it can really drive up profitability of the company. Secondly, if you're developing people in that manner, they're going to stay on board because believe it or not, these training programs are not that common in the industry. Companies just don't provide a lot of training. So they're going to see you as rare and they're going to want to stay on board with you. And then the other Kind of return on investment is the recruiting or the attraction side of things we've done multiple surveys at emi that confirm also what we've confirmed in this report which is above all else people want learning and development they want career growth and support and so if you're able to talk about that in an interview or publicize that across your social media channels there are going to be top talent out there that are going to look at that and say wow this firm is offering these kinds of career development support tools and programs and learning and development. I want to work at a company like that. So when you think about the word training, which I think is a kind of a watered down word these days, and a lot of people just think of training as that getting on a couple of webinars, which is why we try to use the word learning and development wherever we can. But when you think about it, understand that it's Absolutely, a tool that can help you to build profitability by, by you know, developing better project managers, better people leaders, but it's also a tool that will keep people there and will bring people to your company. It's, it's. Well, I like to describe it in, you know, you want to create that magnetic workplace where people really want to stay there, and training is a critical component of that. And I'm sure Pete, you've you've heard the same in talking with some of your clients and the firms you work with.
0: Absolutely, I mean it is. You know, and there's, there's, you know, people don't come out of school with the same skill sets, and we really need to train them up, uh, you know, not just from a a technical perspective, not just from a scope schedule and budget um, project management, that's absolutely uh, essential, but it's also in the people skills and the culture, uh, and how we do things, Um, but if, if we don't even Training on what we do, that's going to be hard to say on how we do it. And, and, and that's sort of the secret sauce in a lot of organizations is how we do our work, because there is competition to what we do, but how we do it and why we do it. That's the difference. And, and with training programs, I mean, you layer that in, that's going to be a, a strategic differentiator.
2: Yeah, 100 percent. And again, yes, our firms, Pete and myself, we do offer obviously coaching and training, but we have a third. That's why we went to a third party. And we reached out to a lot of professionals across the industry because this information is not coming from us. It's coming from them. And I would guarantee you that if you polled your firm, you did a poll within your firm and asked similar questions to what we asked, you're going to get similar answers. So your people also want these things. And we're hoping that by giving you some of these directives, you'll be able to kind of implement it and kind of move forward and, t- and take some valuable action on this. All right. So now, Pete, you're going to talk a little bit about the next one, which is really interesting Use a people-centric, data-driven approach to surface hotspots. Talk about that one.
0: Well, we, we've talked about it a little bit with uh, just looking at the heat map, that figure three, where we can d- identify hotspots. So, what's happening in an organization at different levels, f- and understand the reasons for that? Because from an organizational development perspective, uh, we want st- to we want to understand what's happening and why, where, because you never, you know, you don't build Rome in a day. Um, you, you, you figure out what the hotspot is and you, you address that and sort of build momentum and just strategic plan or organizational development execution. Uh, you, you have to really know where to start. So that, that's a, that the hotspots is, is key, but people centric data driven. I mean, big picture. I mean, we're, as a society becoming more people centric, I mean, everything's customized, you know, our Amazon orders, you know, what we music we want to listen to Netflix. I mean, so it's definitely a customization society, right? So we're expecting that people are expecting that one size absolutely doesn't fit all. So it's definitely people centric is the way to go, but data driven. I, I mean, in the report, I mean, we talked about the generations already, but there's major differences. There's still a gender gap. I mean, if we look at you know the reasons, there, there's more reasons why um, women are considering and leaving our industry than men, and the gap is you know the, some of the initial feedback I've gotten is that's something I've gotten from some of the advanced reports that have been out there, is wow we still have a generation gap, and so you, we have to understand that if we want to attract and retain more women to our industry. Um, we, we've got to continue to do different. And, and maybe, you know, we're on the right path and we're closing the gap. I mean, let's see based on, on the data, but but there's still a gap. And so we have to really dive into why. So that, that's why the, the data-driven approach is key. One thing when we're looking at this, this data, I mean, one of the things that really um, I think about is in some of the, you know, back to the office discussions is A report like this really requires, from from a leadership and a management team perspective, different type of thinking. So a lot of times, and especially in our busy, and again, a lot of leaders and senior managers haven't had our reset time, because we've been on the go from COVID starting. A lot of people, society-wise and in our industry, have had a reset. And, and, And there's a fundamental change right now where people have redefined winning they want to win at both work and life while making a difference and having an impact. And they're making a value decision on whether their current employer, whether this career is something that allows them to win at work and life. And and so that is fundamentally happening. When we look at this data and we want to see how we want to react to it, I think it's reflexive thinking is going to hurt us. We really need um, reflective. And so the reflexive is, well, that, that doesn't you know, that that wasn't the way before. That wasn't the way I grew into this industry. Things are just very different now. Gen Z is seeing a much different world than Gen X had in the 90s. We have to be reflective and not reflexive. But in our busyness, a lot of times we're reflective and sometimes we're, we're sort of sending the wrong message. Even if in our hearts, we don't mean it. There's no malice. We're just being reflective. So kind of a big picture thing. W- one other take, uh, what I'll share is when we get into people-centric, when we're looking at things across generations, across gender, it requires more nuance, career development plans. One of the, we still have to perform as an organization, we have to perform as teams, right? In order to make sure we have unity of purpose and we're able to perform, the more nuanced we get and And we have to be nuanced and and people centric um, based on the data and based on, you know, not just in our industry, but across. But the more nuance we have with our people, the more clear we need to be with vision goals and objectives for the organization, the more clear we have to be with mission and values, because only with that clarity can we get connection and alignment to align someone's personal goals with that of the team, with that of the, the client, with that of the organization. And so we need to get more nuanced. But if we get too nuanced without the clarity of the big picture, I, I think we're going we're not going to be as successful as a team and and, and we're probably going to lose some of that culture. And I think that's the, that's the rub in a lot of organizations. Um, so again, we want to be attractive, supportive, and dynamic, but we also need to perform. Um, And and figuring out that balance is going to be key. As you mentioned, one of the directives is is, uh, future. we're going to be flexible overall and really driving to a point of success from anywhere, but success being important. We're here to do a job and we're here to have success in our industry. And what we do matters. It absolutely matters, but it's hard work and, and, and it doesn't just happen by accident. And so anyway, that, that's that's a key piece. We absolutely need to understand what problem we're solving, but we have to solve that problem in the context of, of some of the great things that we do as an industry. Um, pretty much everything we do as an industry is, 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 has a, a significant impact.
2: Yeah, for sure. So it's really, these are critical factors in terms of long-term sustainable growth for AE firms. We truly believe that. Once again, the report is titled Present and Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture, an in-depth study of the state of the industry and talent market and how companies can compete in a fast-changing world. The report is available for download at futureofworkinaec.com, so you can grab the report there. And really, if you can just implement a few of these directives, you will see improvements across the board and if you can do more than a few then you're even going to see more improvements and it's all laid out for you in the report all the data charts figures the directives it's there for you we hope that you take it we hope that you use it and you can feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions and pete it was fun doing this again and i really look forward to doing it again next year and seeing what's changed
0: again absolutely um Yes, it was uh, great, to, great to be able to talk about this again we're just hitting some of the highlights there's a lot more depth in the report and and we're just excited to to support the industry in this matter. Um, to support more people uh, for and, and solve some of the bigger problems, um, but on a very people centric way.
2: Absolutely. And again, we hope that you are able to get the report, Future of Work in AEC.com. We look forward to any comments you have, whether you leave them on our podcast and YouTube, or you reach out to us on LinkedIn, we're happy to connect with you. Hope you take this information and use it. We'll see you on the next episode.
0: Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations.
1: Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.